You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1029 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday morning. And today's show is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app right now and find one of our Locked On rooms. Today's show marks the end of the season for the 2020-21 Atlanta Hawks. A heck of a run from this organization, from this team, this resilient bunch. And they come back, make it a game. Lots of back and forth that we'll get into about game six. They end up falling 118 to 107 at home against the Bucks. And uh, yeah, you know, the deepest playoff run in Atlanta Hawks history, which we'll focus on, of course, here. But in terms of this game itself, a slow start for Atlanta, digging themselves a hole in this spot. They never led in this game. For the second straight night, they never led. That was uh, kind of a backbreaker in some respects. But they fought back, made it interesting, and then Chris Middleton went crazy in the third quarter. Even then, the Hawks kept coming. Cam Reddish had the monster second half of this contest, and the offense was great down the stretch, but just not enough defense, not enough stops, and they couldn't get over the hump. So we'll get into all that stuff here. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. We'll have uh, plenty more, as we always do on this game. But thank you for listening, and uh, my apologies for the audio quality. I'm still sort of out of my normal element here, but we'll be back to that very shortly as the week continues. So we'll dive in now. Pre-game, obviously everyone knows this by now, but Giannis did not play. He was ruled out midday, and then Trey ends up going in this game for Atlanta. He wasn't himself by any means, but he got out there and played, and played a lot, by the way. Trey Young played 35 minutes in this game on, certainly on, you know, on one and a half feet, essentially. Um, but the Hawks were actually favored in this contest by three and a half points. Ben Alanda AG, our sponsor on the podcast. And uh, it was the first time they had been favored since game four of the Knicks series. So a long, long time. And you can see, you can certainly see why with Trey playing and Giannis not playing. But uh, out of the gate, it was all Bucks, fifteen to four for Milwaukee at the start. A very strange sequence, sort of uh, was a microcosm of the first half of this game. Out of the gate, Trey tried to draw a foul, turn it over, and then Milwaukee almost gave it back in transition. And Bogdanovich had to wrap up Portis, but Milwaukee actually had two runs in the middle of that fifteen to four push. It was a seven zero run and an eight zero run by Milwaukee, and the Hawks were two of eleven from the floor, zero of five from three, with three turnovers in that stretch. The shot quality was better than that, you would, th- I would say, anyway. But uh, it wasn't anything great, and Milwaukee wasn't even letting it up either. The offenses in the f- entire first half, honestly, were pretty hideous on both sides, as we'll get into momentarily. I thought Trey was moving reasonably well. Obviously, somewhat limited, not the type of burst that he normally has, but he moved better than I thought he might move. It was a question mark coming into the night as to whether he could really move at all, honestly, after missing the last two games. And he was limited, for sure, but he was out there in a couple moments off the dribble, etc., didn't look incredibly comfortable to me, though. That was definitely uh, sort of a theme of the night is that I think he was definitely 100%. That's not breaking any new ground, but I'm sure they would have uh, liked to have him at full strength, but he just didn't quite have it for large portions of this game. Uh, the Hawks did have a nice run back and uh, sort of counter Milwaukee's early run with a 12-3 push of their own. Cut the lead down to two. It was a nice uh, post-up by Collins in that stretch, and then Bedonimich kind of blew through Bryn Forbes along the way, and Trey had an extra three-point play of his own in that push. Um, Trey got a second foul, in about six minutes, and uh, kudos to McMillan for not taking him out of the game because you, you know he's not a high foul player, nothing to really worry about there. He ended up uh, never in foul trouble the rest of the way. Actually, only had two. Uh, that's hilarious. He played the first six minutes, had two fouls, and then didn't play, didn't have another foul the rest of the night. So good stuff there. Um, but Reddish came in as the first sub for Herder and then Gallinari after that, and they went actually away from Trey earlier than usual in the first quarter. He had been playing before the injury the first quarter in full 
on a pr- pretty regular basis. They went to Lou Williams with about three and a half minutes to go in the first quarter, um, perhaps just as a nod to Trey not playing the entire first quarter. He didn't really have the same kind of juice, etc. There was an 8-0 run, though, by Milwaukee after that to put the Hawks down by 10. So after they had climbed back, it got extended again. That's kind of a theme of the night as well, is that Milwaukee just kept pushing it back up once the Hawks made their push. And that first quarter drought by the Hawks was actually three and a half minutes without a single point. That kind of bit them there. Gallinari, though, a couple of huge shots. And it was mostly reddish in the second half, but Gallinari was sort of the unsung hero in the first half. He hit back-to-back pretty contested threes at the end of the first quarter to sort of pull the Hawks out of that rut offensively. And then a Kongo to the line as well. And they were down by four at the end of the first quarter. That felt pretty good to me, actually, just saying that you know, back and forth, watching that game. Only being down four felt okay. After being down as many as 11, they had six turnovers in the first quarter. They didn't shoot great. Milwaukee was a little bit cold on their own right, but Gallinari, those big shots were uh, definitely notable there. Before we get to the second quarter and much more today on the road to the finals, our main playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories with this car. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So the second quarter was definitely interesting in nature. Uh, like I said, the first quarter was not great. The second quarter was hideous basketball. It was 19-19 to in the second quarter. And for... All the strengths and interesting, I would say, intricacies of the series, lots of strategy stuff. This was just bad shooting, bad offense for the most part on both sides in the second quarter. Um, so Trey comes back in. The Hawks didn't score for the first two and a half minutes of the quarter. And the only, the only bucket of that entire stretch was Cam Reddish um, hitting a walk-up three. He, that was his only, there was the only points for like the first 10 possessions, I think, of the entire second quarter. Just some pretty ugly stuff there. Um, but the Bucks couldn't really score a lot either. In fact, it was old friend Jeff Teague, who I, I think correctly have said has been terrible in this series, had some nice moments from, from Milwaukee in this game. He had two threes. That was kind of it for both sides early in the second quarter. I thought Collins sat for too long as a point of uh, sort of nitpicking. I think he sat for like nine straight minutes. That was too much for me. But he scored in the post when he came back in. They got it down to four at one point. But it was generally a pretty hideous half of basketball. And trailing by four, though, at the, at the end of the first half, same sort of sentiment at the end of the first quarter. But the numbers in the first half were jarringly bad. So the Hawks shoot 31% from the floor and 25% from three. And they're only down four. Um, they were eight of 34 anywhere on the floor except for the rim, basically. And only seven of 14 at the rim, which is also bad for given how close you are. They were not enough from the free throw line, which definitely helped. But six assists in the first half, it's a very, very low number. Collins was the only guy on the floor for Atlanta that shot more than 45% from the floor in the half. Everybody else was 44% or below, which is uh, telling. Trey was 2 of 8. He wasn't great either. They somehow won the turnover battle, despite committing 10 turnovers, because Milwaukee was even worse with their ball security. And the Hawks made their run in the first half without Brooke Lopez on the floor. So Brooke Lopez was, was great again for Milwaukee at times in this game. But the Hawks were plus 12 in about five minutes without Brooke in that first half, which was definitely uh, notable there. And then the Bucks didn't shoot well either. They were 39% from the floor, 9 of 32 away from the rim. They got they sort of got the lead early on at the rim and then stopped attacking, which is kind of a um, the usual for Milwaukee in a lot of ways, some maddening stuff there. But they had turnovers in a big way. That's 7 in the second quarter alone and 12 in the first half. The Hawks did a better job, I thought, defensively walling off the paint in the first half. It did allow 11 fast break points because of their own ball security issues and their turnovers. But both teams were sub-50% true shooting in the entire first half, and no one was even close to even a point per possession. Obviously, things flipped after halftime with both teams scoring uh, 71-64 after halftime. So it was definitely a different game after the first half, but it was, it's easy, sort of hard to remember now, I guess. But the first half of this game was not a lot of fun to watch, kind of a slog, not necessarily great defense, just kind of some bad offense 
along the way. All right, before we get to some stuff from the second half, some takeaways, analysis, and look ahead, uh, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors that there's something for absolutely everyone? When you talk to someone who's a fan of Built Bar, they're always passionate about their favorites. And if you don't know all the flavors at this point in time, well, you're missing out. They have coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. And available this week only from July 6th to July 9th, get the new Built Bar flavor, Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? Well, this is Bilt Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie, all the flavor without all of that sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. The grasshopper cookie is fantastic, and it really is something that you have to check out at this point in time. And not only are all Bilt Bar flavors the best tasting, they're also healthy. You have all the protein that you would want, calories in the 130 to 180 range, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavor all tasty, and all healthy. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or the raspberry, whichever flavor you would like. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 50% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED, 50% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, if there was one stretch of this game that ended up being pivotal, you could say it was the first few minutes, but I, I would say it was the third quarter and particularly the start of the third quarter. So the Hawks actually got down by two, and then Kevin Herter had a three-pointer in the air that would have given the Hawks the lead. I mentioned earlier in the podcast the Hawks did not lead for a single second in either Game 5 or Game 6, and that was their one chance in this game to take the lead, basically. Herter misses it, and then immediately Milwaukee goes nuclear. So a 16-2 run by the Bucks, and when I say the Bucks, I mean Chris Middleton. He scored all 16 points for Milwaukee in that stretch, and suddenly it goes from a two-point game to a 16-point game. Along the way there, Milton's back-to-back threes to put the lead up to 10. They call timeout, and he scores the next five points after the break, which is uh, notable. Uh, then the Hawks <laughs> the Hawks finally scored to stop the bleeding a little bit, and Milton had another three. So it's like just wild stuff. Uh, an off-dribble look. A couple of those were really tough looks as well. A couple of them were open, but still. It was similar to the to the fourth quarter of Game 3 when Milton went crazy. Just when he gets in that zone, you can't do much with him. And that was a tough time for that to happen, but it did happen. And the Hawks uh, were behind the eight ball as a result of that. Um, credit to Cam Reddish, who was incredible in the second half of this game. His shooting display was badly needed. Obviously, it wasn't enough in this game, but that was not because of him. He had six threes, and um, he had two in a row early. Um, one from each corner, sort of triage things, because the Hawks were down... It was definitely getting away from them there. You know, that's one of those times where it could snowball and you could be just totally out of the game when that run ends. But because of Reddish's shooting, that allowed us to sort of stay afloat at that moment in time. They're still, they were still down 14, but 14 is doable, whereas 24 would have probably not been at that point in time. So at that point, by the way, Reddish and Gallinari were 5-6 from 3, and everybody else was 1-16. of 16. That continued the entire game, by the way. Those two guys were the only ones that really shot the ball very well for Atlanta. Uh, Cam hit two more jumpers, another three, and a step back two. He couldn't stop Middleton like nobody really could in that stretch. But Cam's offense was huge. The Bucks though, stayed hot. Drew Holiday hit a couple shots. Teague hit another one. The offense, though, for the Hawks kind of bogged down a little bit late in the third, and the result was a 19-point deficit. So you go, in, you go into halftime, down four, and end the third quarter down 19, and that's just huge. I mean, they got about 44 points in the quarter. Middleton had 23 by himself in the third quarter. The Bucks hit nine threes. Holiday had 11 points, just... Sort of, a, sort of a barrage offensively. And defensively, it wasn't probably as bad as that looked. A lot of the shots, particularly the ones that Middleton hit, were, were actually pretty well contested, but Milwaukee just was too comfortable at that point in time, and that kind of broke them down. Came at 12 points in the quarter, but nobody else could really get off, get over the hump. I will say, offensively, the Hawks were fine in the third quarter. They just didn't get enough stops to have it actually matter, because 44 points is untenable. 
in the fourth, it was better for the Hawks, quite obviously. Um, they actually ended up outscoring the Bucks by, by eight points in the fourth quarter. Um, Milwaukee actually though, hit a three early on to go up by 22. That was the largest lead of the night for Milwaukee. Um, but then Gallinari and Herter actually made his uh, made his one three of the night actually earlier in that fourth quarter to get the lead down to 16. It sort of hovered there for like three or four minutes in that 16 to 18 range. And then the Hawks run came, their one final push in the fourth quarter. Camp hits his fifth three of the night with about seven minutes to go to get to 13. Then Middleton misses a layup that he probably should have made, honestly. And then Collins has a three-point play with 6.22 to go, and suddenly the lead is 10. And that's very manageable. This Hawks team has been resilient all year long. They've had a ton of comebacks. And down 10 with six minutes to go is doable. Um, so the big the big first part was done. Um, they, rode with, they rode without Capella in that stretch, going with Reddish and Gallinari to go offense, 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 and then Cam to play defense as well. Um, a big shot by Connaughton, I thought, after a timeout to go back up by 13, but the Hawks just kept coming. Trey scored. Um, Cam hits a 6-3 to get it down to 10. And Trey gets to the line to cut it to, four, to, cut it to 8. Um, and after a turnover by Milwaukee, it is 107-101. That was the closest the Hawks got in the fourth quarter. But again, 107-101 with like four minutes to go. You're right in the game. Um, you know, Holiday had a nice move from there. And the Hawks call timeout down by 8. But I will say this to tell you how good the, the Hawks offense was early in the fourth quarter. Between Cam and Collins and even Trey... Uh, the Hawks scored 28 points on their first 14 possessions of the fourth quarter. That is an average of two points per possession, which is absolutely insane for that long. It was an eight-minute stretch, basically, of the Hawks scoring two points on every possession on average, which is incredible. And that, you know, unfortunately they were down by 19, so they had to sort of they had to do that to stay afloat. But man, that was a heck of an offensive performance in that stretch from all kinds of guys, particularly uh, particularly Cam. I thought and Collins played well in that run as well. Then, though, that was kind of the end of the push. The Hawks did uh, sort of hang around, hang around, hang around. It was never, like, over until the final minute or so. But Trey missed three shots in a row, a couple of which he wanted foul calls on. I will say this. I, I thought I wasn't going to – I'm not going to go as crazy as some Hawks fans were about the officiating in this game. I do think, though, the Hawks got a pretty unfavorable whistle in some key moments in this spot, particularly when you remember that they were at home in this game. And, you know, I saw all the, all the, all the conspiracy stuff. The NBA is not going to conspire against the Hawks forcing Game 7 because Game 7s are good business for the, for the NBA. But still, um, unfortunately, the Hawks didn't get a whole lot of help, I didn't think, from the officiating crew down the stretch. Um, at any rate, though, Milton actually missed a three, and the Hawks had the ball down eight with less than two minutes to go. But Trey misses his third shot in a row, as I said before. Then Brooke Lopez gets a dunk to go up by 10 with 129 to go. Um, it, that seemed like kind of a dagger in that moment, but to their credit... Bogdanovich hits a three after a timeout very quickly, and the Hawks have some new life down seven. But the real dagger came on the next possession when Peter Tucker hits a corner three off a kickout pass at the end of the shot clock, just a brutal sequence. And suddenly the lead goes back up to 10 with a minute to go, and that was basically it. By the way, PJ was one of nine from the floor and 0 of six from three before that shot. Um, so tough break. Pretty good defense on that possession, too. Just wasn't enough. And um, Nate McMillan emptied the bench from there uh, moments later to give the home crowd a chance to recognize the great work of all the key guys one last time. And they did that. They sort of acquiesced to that. But unfortunately, that was it. But still, a pretty resilient effort in the fourth quarter, honestly. The Hawks making this a game, having been down 19 and then down, down 22 early in the fourth. It was pretty on brand for this Hawks team because they've been so good at comebacks in this last you know three, four-month run. But uh, wasn't quite enough. And the, the deficit was just too big in this spot. Uh, before we get to some takeaways, analysis from this game, and the season, I suppose, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. 
Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll wrap up now with some takeaways and some analysis from Game 6. The Hawks ended up scoring 35 points in the fourth quarter, including 6 free throws and 5-7 from 3. They had more than enough offense in the second half of this game. 51% from the floor, I should say, after halftime. Eight threes, eight of 16. That's obviously some great shooting, but they allowed 71 points in the second half. The Bucks shot 52% from the floor and 12 of 26 from three after a slow start. They got to the line for 11 out of 11. So, you know, it's kind of two halves in a lot of ways. The offensive struggles on both sides in the first half, and then the Bucks just were a little bit better after halftime in their offense, but it was two different atmospheres, basically, between the first half and the second half. Um, we'll talk about the offense first, broadly speaking. They were below their normal baseline for the full game by the end, about 1.09 points possession or so. Um, you know, obviously, though, first half hideous, second half much better and well better than you would expect, basically, on a per-possession basis for a full game. Um, the Hawks, though, were 10 of 32 on two-point attempts that were not at the rim, so that floater range and long two range, that's a pretty bad shooting night for the Hawks. They've been pretty good on those for the last, this entire run, basically, between Herter and Bogdanovich and Lou Williams, etc., Collins. They've been good in that re- and they've been good in that range, but this is a night that kind of, that kind of deserted them a little bit. They, they were actually worth 38% from three by the end because of their hot shooting in the, in the second half, but uh, not good enough necessarily. Still fine, though, not a problem. But 16 turnovers, was a, that was a lot in this game to overcome. It didn't, like, totally kill them, and that isn't, like, completely ridiculous, but it was a lot, particularly in the first half. They did, they did a very good job on the offensive glass. They grabbed more than 30% of their offensive rebounds during the competitive portion of the game until, like, the final minute or so. They were good on the offensive glass. just wasn't quite enough offensively. We'll get into the individual players in a second, but that was sort of the broad takeaways for me is that, you know, bad offense in the first half. They were a little bit tight. Once they found it, they were good. It's just they found it a little bit too late. And then defensively, it's kind of weird to talk about this. I, I think it was better defensively than you might think by the numbers, because Milwaukee ended up scoring about almost 1.2 points per possession, which is a pretty bad number for especially a team at home in Atlanta. But the shot making in the third quarter was, uh, you know, credit to Milwaukee. They made a bunch of shots. Chris Middleton went supernova as he is, as he's, you know, he has the potential to do. Drew Holiday was pretty good the entire night, especially defensively. I thought he was great. Um, the ones that kind of bite you are these six threes from Connaughton and Teague. That's just kind of tough to take. You know, Milton Holiday are really good players. They're, you know, all-star level players. But the Hawks got burned by those six threes from supporting guys, and then PJ hits the final one at the end. But it was really the Teague minutes and the constant shots that kind of, I thought, snuck sneakily um, kind of bit the Hawks defensively. But still, I, I think defensively, for the most part, the Hawks were pretty decent in this game. They walled off the rim. Like, as one example, the Hawks had as many points in the paint as the Bucks did. 40 to 40, and given where Milwaukee was for most of the series, that's a big win. In fact, the Hawks actually took more shots at the rim than the Bucks did in this game. That's a huge win for the defense. Um, but the Bucks just made enough shots, and they got a lot, a lot of offensive rebounds once again. Um, 
They did allow 17 corner three attempts. That's a huge number, just for the reference. Um, but they actually only made six of them, so they weren't like crazy hot from there. That's kind of the only knock other than you know, a couple breakdowns near the rim and Milton being lost a few times. But I thought the Hawks were a little bit better defensively than you might have think you might think by the numbers only in this game. Um, from there, we'll get into some you know individual takeaways um, from the night. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to get into all of this, but um, we'll do what we can. Um, a nine-man rotation for Atlanta in this game. The only guy who played any minutes beyond that nine in the regular portion of the game was Solomon Hill playing the Mario West role with one defensive-only possession at the end of a quarter. But it was nine guys. It was Akongwu, Williams, Gallinari, Reddish off the bench, and then the five starters. Akongwu wasn't as good <clears throat> in this game as he had been previously. Um, still was okay, I thought, actually, in his minutes. He had three points, two rebounds. He was out there and at least um, you know doing his energy, his energy stuff. But he actually, he actually was minus 11. Um, I'm not sure that was on him necessarily, but it was not his best night of the playoffs. He's a rookie. I thought he came a long way in this stretch. We'll get into all these guys moving forward on the podcast. But um, I thought he came a long way during the playoffs and was pretty darn good um, for the most part. Just not his best in this night. I thought Lou Williams struggled, and that was actually kind of something that kind of burned the Hawks in this game offensively. He had four points, missed all three shots from the floor. They get to the line for four attempts, but uh, did not have the juice that they probably needed from him in this game. Not that he was going to play a huge role with Trey back, but you needed something else from the bench. And they got a lot from Cam and a lot from Gallo at times, but could use a little bit more from Lou in this game. Um, we'll go to Gallinari now. He had a great first half, cooled off from there. Actually, needed 13 points, but had 13 shot attempts, so not like super efficient. Did have eight rebounds. I thought he helped them a lot in the first half. He was kind of the only guy at times that was doing anything offensively, a couple of big threes, but he was, you know, I think defensively in the series, it was a challenge for Gallo to be favorable. I think he was pretty bad on that end of the floor in the series, but he does give you that punch um, and that, you know, this three-point shooting and his attack, uh, his attack mode and switches and all that stuff offensively can be very valuable. We saw that at times in this game. And then Reddish was just awesome, honestly. 21 points to lead the team. Um, let's just say if you put up odds two months ago or even two weeks ago, that Cam Reddish was going to lead the Hawks in scoring in Game 6 of the Conference Finals, you would have been laughed out of the room, and I would have laughed at you. So not, that's, that's not even a shot at Cam. He just wasn't, he wasn't even playing. He wasn't active until this series. And then the fact that he was able to shoot like he did, you can't bank on that, but you know, Cam, just for the record of the numbers here, Cam had 21 points on 7 of 12 from the floor and 6 of 7 from 3. So it was actually only 1 of 5 on 2s, but... Um, three assists, three rebounds. Defense was not quite as good, I thought, in this game as it had been previously, but he's still a plus defender by any description. And the Hawks were plus four when he played, and they were minus 14 when he didn't. Sorry, minus 15 when he, when he didn't. So, um, you know, he was awesome in this game and in the series. Um, just to capitalize on what we were talking about earlier, Cam and Gallo were 9 of 12 from three on the night. The rest of the team was three for 20. So, not a lot of shot making elsewhere, but. We'll get into this. We'll get into a lot of stuff about Cam um, as we move forward as well. But man, he was awesome. That was a fun performance, and unfortunately, came in a loss. But without him, they would have been buried in the second half. He he really he really sort of carried them at times in the third quarter, and a lot of them to keep sort of uh, their head above water at times. And it was going to spiral, and he didn't he didn't allow he didn't allow it. So I've always been high on Cam. I think he's a really really talented guy, and we saw a lot of that in this game. Um, to the starters, and a mixed bag here to be sure. We'll start with Kevin Herter, who I thought was bad in this game. Uh, I made a joke about this during the game on Twitter, but uh, you would have thought that people just forgot about Kevin Herter's playoff run to this point. Like he, let, let me get this out of the way now. He was bad in this game. 
Uh, he'll be better in the future. He's been better in the past. He was not good in game six, flat out. He, just, he, he was not. He was minus 22. That's a game worst. Was he the only guy that was bad? No, but it was a bad night for Kevin. He was two attempts on the floor, one of six from three. Four, did have four steals, but had four assists, three rebounds. Just didn't have a shot in this game and just was a little bit passive. I thought he looked tired. You know, he was, he was carrying a massive workload in the playoffs in a way that you couldn't have expected him to carry coming in. And um, just as a reminder, Kevin Herter was basically had the best game of his life in Game 7 on the road in Philadelphia. So, like, the people that were, like, saying Kevin Herter is, like, not clutch or whatever, it's like, no, that's not really a thing. He was incredible in the biggest game of his life before this. But he wasn't. He was bad in this game. It happens, but he was bad. Um, and that hurt them. Obviously, they got a lot from Cam to kind of make up for it in some respects, but they're still shorthanded right now without Hunter and... Uh, they couldn't overcome what um, what, they, what they didn't get from Herter and Lou. Just for reference, like Herter and Lou combined to go two of thirteen from the floor. And if you throw in Trey, the three those three guards, Young, Herter, and Lou Williams, were six of thirty from the floor. And you know that's you can't do that. And plus, uh, I believe one of thirteen from three for those three guys as well. So that's obviously cherry picking a little bit for those three players. But it's hard to do that even against even at home against a team like Milwaukee and the way that they're capable of playing. Uh, but Herter was not good, so we'll leave that there for now. We'll come back to him later. But it was uh, honestly, though, a big picture, an awesome playoff run for Kevin Herter. Just didn't have it in Game Six. Um, we'll go from from there to Bogdanovich, who was better. He had 20 points on 14 shooting possessions, so very efficient. Three steals, three assists, two rebounds. He had some ball handling issues in this game. Had three turnovers. Drew Holiday was giving him some fits with the ball in his hands, but when he was not dribbling poorly, um, he shot the ball well. I thought. And then defensively, I thought he was totally fine as well, um, for the most part. It was not great from the perimeter defense in the last few games, but I thought he was uh, at least acceptable for most of tonight and uh, made some big shots at big moments. Um, Clickapella, 14 points, 9 rebounds. Uh, wasn't his best, again, in this series. Um, in fact, two, de- two defensive rebounds is not great, but he was good on the offensive glass in this game. Seven offensive rebounds. He was uh, actually had more than half of Atlanta's entire group on the uh, offensive glass in this game. It was not his best defensively. They, went, they ended up going away from him in the fourth quarter, which I thought was the right decision. You know, you're playing from behind. you got to try to score, and I get that. Um, I think some of the takes that I've seen about Capella and how bad he was in the series are a little bit overstated. He was not his best, but he had an awesome season. Keep that in mind. Clay Capella was awesome, and without him during the regular season, they would have been buried a lot of the time, so keep that in mind as well. Not his best, but still. Um, John Collins I thought was good in this game. 13 points, 11 rebounds, had a steal and a block. He was very energetic. I think defensively played pretty well. Led the team on the, on the the only guy on the defensive glass that was really holding his own for the most part in this game. Was he like twenty five points? No, but thirteen points on nine shots is totally fine. Um, he he was post he was post up hunting in, in on sort of mismatches and stuff. I thought Collins was good in this game. He wasn't like incredible, but I think he was probably one of their better guys in the spot. And then we'll end with Trey Young. Um, Fourteen points, nine assists, had a steal, four rebounds, did have five turnovers. But four four seven from the four, from the floor and 0-6 from three, he just didn't have it in this game. And you know, I will say this at the very very top of this discussion: kudos to Trey Young for playing in this game. There is no question in my mind that he would not have played in this game if it was not the stakes that it was. If this is a regular season, he's out for another week probably at least. He was not himself physically. That was very obvious. He was able to move, yes, but Trey at six one six two whatever he is relies on his quickness and his explosion and he, did, he didn't have it in this game and I think he also got tired I would imagine because he had played so many minutes um Nate McMillan said that he had not done any on-court work since the injury so that's tough to then go out, go, out, go out and play 35 minutes and uh yeah when that's that is what it is but that's not ideal um but yeah what are you gonna say I think he 
he probably helped them being out there. Was he his best? No. Um, but the passing was what it is. He has to be guarded in a different way than most guys. He was allowing other guys to have space. And I just want to credit him for going out there and playing. Like, he definitely was not himself. And, uh, you know, that should be remembered when you're discussing this entire run. And, and by the way, before the injury, he was incredible. So, <laughs> Trey Young is a superstar. No question about that. Uh, sort of a, just an assumption I can make at this point in time. But, um, yeah, we'll leave it there now for tonight's game. Um, sort of in closing here, an unfortunate end of the season, but also showed their resilience. And one heck of a run. I mean, that goes without saying, I think, at this point in time. I'm not always the most flowery pros guy. But this team, from where they were in March to where they ended up, two wins short of the NBA Finals, is just absolutely remarkable. They did it without Hunter, by the way, who had a breakout season this year and was awesome. And they largely played without him for the regular season and then most of their playoff run. But Donovich was hobbling, said after the game. He basically couldn't drive in the playoffs, and that was evident. But also just worth remembering that he was very banged up and dragging his leg around in the playoffs. Trey had the shoulder injury, and then the last couple games that he missed, plus tonight, they had injuries all season long. Um, you know, everybody missed time, basically. Um, not everybody at once, but they never had their group, basically, the entire season. And that's worth remembering as well. McMillan was actually asked about his job status after the game, which is predictable, and somebody has to ask him. He said, he said they'd talk soon, but multiple players, Collins, Young, said that they'd be, basically be shocked if Nate was not the coach. I had that same reaction. It's not official right now, but uh, I think everyone expected him to be back. We'll see what happens there. But he did a great job with this group, no question. He instilled that confidence in them. He should be credited in a big way for this entire run. Uh, you know, The players have to make the plays, but McMillan put them in great spots, and that is uh, worth remembering too. Now they have a short offseason. Uh, that's sort of a small price to pay for a very, very deep playoff run, but the draft is less than four weeks from now which is wild, um, particularly for this team that's been rebuilding the last few years to have this very short draft cycle and then free agency and then summer league and the, sort of the wheels go on and on. Um, that's, again, a small price to pay for this playoff run, but that's definitely going to matter. They have some decisions to make. You know, the draft pick is not a lottery pick this time around, but they have the Collins decision to make. They have the middle-level exception. They have to replace Lou Williams if he leaves and all kinds of questions. Um, that's stuff for later on, um, but still, that's interesting and it's coming up in the future. We'll discuss all of that at length. But for now, it's a night for me anyway to celebrate the season. They were tremendous during this run. And note that again, they were right there on the precipice of the finals. And that's uh, wild considering where they were just a few months ago. A heck of a run and the best playoff run in team history. I'm sure there'll be a lengthy discussion about what the best team is between this one and 2015 and some of those unique teams. But the best playoff run, full stop, they won two conference, games, conference finals games. They had the game seven road win in Philadelphia etc. So, heck of, a, heck of a performance there from everybody involved. For any new listeners, by the way, I will say this. The podcast does not go anywhere in the offseason. I know some people sort of taper away at times, and I, I don't blame them at all, but I keep it rolling on this podcast. So, uh, maybe not every single day, but multiple times per week, we'll be here between now and the draft, and free agency, and summer league, and then leading up to the season next year. So, if you're a new listener, subscribe, follow. We're not going anywhere. Um, I'll have a podcast probably up by Tuesday um, <laughs> between now and then. So all kinds of stuff. We'll have X interviews, I assume, for the Hawks between now and the next couple of days. And then full speed ahead into the draft and some player reviews and all that fun stuff. So please subscribe to the podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I will say this on the, sh on the show here at the end because it's very late in the night. I don't care right now. June was the biggest month in the history of this podcast in terms of listens, downloads, audience, whatever you want to say. So thank you to everyone who has jumped on board the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, I would not be here without all the people listening to it, so I appreciate everybody uh, putting up with my nonsense on this podcast feed. But uh, sincerely, subscribe, follow, rate, review. Um, Shouts to the Hawks for this incredible run they were, that they just put everybody on, and uh, it seems like the fan base is very much energized, and they should be. Uh, this is a team that's still young, and uh, definitely the, the arrow is pointing up on this group. So we'll talk about all of that to come, draft stuff, etc. But uh, for one last time in the season, before we head into the offseason mode, Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.